Good morning, everybody. Thanks for coming to celebrate with us on our 90th anniversary as a, as a church and campuses. It's great to have you here. And I, uh, I want to camp just for a second on what those guys are doing. Uh, Alice, the, the lovely older woman with the uh, blonde, well, not blonde, silver hair. Yeah, she's a silver queen is what she is to us. She herself was a missionary. And her aunt was one of the first missionaries ever sent out from Wheaton Bible Church. The church actually started in the year of the Great Depression, 1929, when there was no money. And, and yet they started a church, and they started with about 150 people, so literally just half the size of Tri-Village at that time, and they just believed God. And so at the very first meeting of the Board of Elders of the church, they put in their minutes that they formed a missions committee, that it was time for, the, 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 the very beginning was the time for the church to think beyond itself. Yeah, it was really cool. And then nine months after that, they sent out six missionaries, two to China, which incidentally, Alice's uh, aunt went to China secretly, and Latin America they went to, and they went to, we were in, um, oh gosh, Nepal, and, and all over the world immediately. First year of functioning as a church, not even a year old, six missionaries were sent out. At the very same time, you can read in the minutes, that they were pondering doing an area-wide evangelistic campaign in the greater Wheaton area. And they started talking about a Billy Sunday sort of crusade where thousands of people would come and they would introduce Jesus to them. So they already were thinking that we exist for others, we go to the world, and we reach out here at home. All of that was the, the basis for the beginning of this church. My, my wife Marie and I have often talked about why do things go so well at this church? And, and I say, uh, I think it's because we stand on the shoulders of the saints who prayed. And, and we are a heritage of mighty godly people. Now we're saying, what does that mean for us in the journey ahead for us? So today we celebrate the 90th thing, that uh, birthday. That isn't a whole lot for you because you're at Tri-Village, but I hear we're going to have a whale of a three-year um, celebration here in a few months. So, so you'll celebrate three years as a part of this whole 90-year endeavor. Okay? Kind of exciting, huh? All right. Well, today I've decided to talk about not just one church. I've decided to talk about a whole lot of churches. And in fact, if, if you were uh, saying, what's Long going to talk about? He's going to talk about the wildness and the wonder of the church of Jesus Christ. The wildness and the wonder. I hope you come away this morning feeling awe toward what God has done through the church throughout the world. And also that you want to become more committed to her yourself. So that's, that's where I'm going. I start with this. Imagine, if you will, that there's, a, there's an HR, human resource director, who has put ads out in the Chicago Tribune because they want to hire new employees. So here we go. Uh, good morning. I have been told that you're all here as a result of the advertisement in the Tribune. Indeed, you're just a few amongst hundreds and hundreds of others who have responded to this life-changing opportunity. 
And the person says, I'm not sure I understand your ad. It says that this corporation is the largest in the world and that this corporation wants me. Why would Apple want to hire me? And they go, oh, no, no, we're not Apple. We're far bigger than Apple. In fact, we have branches in almost every city and every country in the world. Many, many more than Apple. Well, the advertisement claims that this quote or uh, uh, this quote job or opportunity, whatever you call it, will change my life. What does that mean? I mean, how could a job change my life? Well, this opportunity is going to give you purpose. It's going to give you things to do each day which are important. You, you'll be busy, mind you, but there's variety in the work. Well, what kind of things will I do? Uh, well, there's a lot of personal contact with fellow workers and, and potential clients, lots of potential clients, trying to get as many as we can possibly get. <laughs> you'll be dealing with all kinds of people in all kinds of different vocations. Okay, okay, but what will we be doing? Well, basically, you'll exist to help people. Well, that means helping them when they're sick, helping them when they're poor, helping them when they have needs, helping them when their lives are falling apart. And, and, and you, you'll be working both locally and globally the whole time. Wow. Wow. Well, what's the president, what's the CEO like of this corporation? You'll find him quite unique and very present and warm-spirited. He'll be available for private consultation should you ever need him. Now, oh, what do you mean? No, no president of a corporation is like that. He goes, this one is. Oh, I, I'm confused. What, what's this opportunity? Well, before I uh, share more of the opportunity with you, let me share some of the benefits that you have. There are benefits too? Yes, of course. The corporation's over 2,000 years old. You'll benefit from the knowledge and wisdom which has proved effective for all aspects of life. What do you mean? What kind of wisdom would there be for me? What kind of wisdom are you talking about? Wisdom which will help you handle problems at work, at home, give you peace of mind during crisis. Knowledge which will help you know yourself and begin to realize your potential. Anything else? Yeah, there's a lot more, including always having sufficient income provided by the corporation. And incidentally, you can't believe our life insurance policy. <laughs> well, there's a lot more, including uh, the difference you're going to make in the world. Yeah, well, where do we sign up? Well, branches are everywhere. Find a place called a Christian church and go in and make a commitment. There, along with a commitment to Jesus Christ, will make a difference in your life. Yeah, isn't that good? Yeah, Church's Corporation. Church's Corporation. So uh, that's one way of looking at the church, but the church is so comprehensive that Jesus and the New Testament, uh, beyond Jesus, use different metaphors for helping us understand the church. Uh, Jesus uses one that's kind of diametrically opposite to the corporation, notion we just had. He calls the church his bride. So the church's corporation, the church has bride. Look at these texts that we put up on the screen for you. Husbands, love your wives. We often use this as a wedding sermon text. 
Just as Christ loved the church. You think this is about husbands and wives. Watch out. Just as Christ loved the church, Christ gave himself up for the church to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present the church to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. So, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, who, no one ever hated their own body. They feed, they care for their own body, just as Christ does the church. This is really about the church, isn't it? For we are members of his body, which is another metaphor for the church. All right? Now the next slide says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but what I'm really talking about is Christ and the church. Have you ever thought of yourselves as the bride of Christ? The notion of, of the church as, as a corporation can work for us, as I hope the humorous little sketch did for you. But then Jesus turns it on its head and it says it's, the church is very personal, very precious to him, very important to him. He loves it. He washes it. He cleanses it. He makes it holy and blameless. Wow. You know what this means? Imagine if you were invited to a wedding and um, you're in a kind of a grumpy mood when you go to the wedding. And, and it's time for the bride to walk down the aisle. The bride's walking down the aisle. And your first thought is, huh, well, the dress is nice. She's not that pretty. Uh, <laughs> oh, well. Gets down there and she's doing her vows and everything with, with the bridegroom. And, and you notice this. It looks like one side of her dress is falling a little bit to one side or the other. That shouldn't be. I don't like that at all. Uh, and then they go to the reception. And the same person is walking around saying, yeah, I know she looked really good as a bride and everything, but she's got an anger problem, I heard. Uh, and not only anger problems, she's, she's got, um, she likes to spend tons and tons of money. I, I, just, I just don't know about this bride. Well, just at that moment, the bridegroom walks by and hears what this person is saying. And there's going to be trouble in River City. All right? There would be, wouldn't there? So let me just say this to you. You'll see all sorts of, yeah, you'll see all sorts of problems with the local church. Of course you will. You're in it. <laughs> right? And, and, and then you add me to it and it only gets worse. Of course. But it's God's holy bride that he makes radiant. And it isn't just about just a personal relationship with God, is it? It sounds like it's a corporate term, and, and so it is. In fact, the word for church in the early Greek New Testament was called ecclesia, and I've got a definition of that for you. A collective gathering of a group. A collective gathering of a group. This is what the church is. Originally, the word was used for like a political gathering of people, say like a political convention or something where everybody comes together and believes the same stuff and gets all up, you know, excited. And up. But, but then it was transferred as a word that is used to define the church. A gathering group 
with one collective mind. And that mind is to know and worship and follow the Savior, Jesus Christ. So the church is corporation. The church is also a bride. And, and the church is uh, more than just me and God, although that's the main part of it. Incidentally, I, I want to say to you, if you haven't entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ yet, or you thought you did, maybe you were, you were young, but it, it, it just hasn't borne fruit, and you worry just as much as you did, and you get angry just as much as you did, and you get sad just as much as you did, well, that's a sign that maybe you're not born again. And you need to have that one-on-one relationship with him which comes when you just bow quietly in your heart in prayer and ask for forgiveness of your sin and ask him to take over the control of your life. You, you can do that today with the prayer people we have right here. So it is about a personal relationship, but it's much larger than that. It's about God's relationship with his whole church. You know how big she is, this bride of Christ in the world? Over 2 billion people claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, meeting in over 4 million sites and centers. We don't even know the exact number. There's no way we could know the exact number because so many of them are houses that meet secretly because their governments won't receive them. But it's a massive organization, and it's the fastest-growing religion in the world. You're a part of something extremely big. Now, I know that that can get confusing and complex. So what I'm going to do next in the message, I'm going to transition a little bit, and I'm going to suggest six traits that make up God's bride or God's church, okay? And I hope you can follow these. They all start with a C, so you ought to be able to remember that. And before we're done, we'll be doing calisthenics about it up here. So the first one is the church is... A chapel, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really, really among you. In the reading of the word, in the teaching of the word, in the prayer of the saints, the Lord's table, when we gather around that once a month, the wonderful worship music that we have that seems to break through our minds and even crack our resilient hearts and reach into us. Uh, it it kind of happened to me in the first service because we're starting to sing along and I'm singing along with Robbie and Wes and the team up here. And then Wes leads that song about when the end is close, we're going to have 10,000 more and we'll be worshiping him in 10,000 different ways. And I thought, oh, man, that's what I needed. And, and so I just stopped singing. And I just let myself be carried on the wings of your singing. Because I was struggling. If you'd have seen me at Giordano's last night, you wouldn't have thought I was a Christian. <laughs> the reason is, is I have a, a pretty severe cancer. And it manifests itself in different kinds of pain at different times. And my back was aching. I, I'm walking through Giordano's up this aisle, down this aisle, down this aisle, walking around this. And I've forgotten all about the blessings of God. I was only thinking about the problems of my life. I had forgotten about the promises of God, and I was only focusing on the problems of my life. I needed to come here today and be with you, is what I'm saying. I needed you, and you needed me. 
Coming to church is not just about you and God. It's not an I thing. It's a we thing. Right? It's a we thing. And so we're called to be a part of this thing. And, and just even today, the chapel is the word I use for the gathering of God's ecclesia, his church, in corporate worship. Nothing like it. Strengthens me every week, even times I don't want to go. Now, I know some people are saying, well, you don't really need a church anymore. You can podcast, downcast, uh, stream, dream, uh, you, you, you can, all this sort of different stuff and get it all uh, through media. No, you can't. No, you can't. You can't experience the presence of God which inhabits the praises of his people when they come together. I had one man come to me after the first service, and he was still weeping. In fact, he, he wept on my arm. And it says, from the moment you stood up and started talking, I was overcome by the presence of God in the room. And I said, well, you've had a real moment with God's manifest presence. You can't get hugged by an HDTV screen. <laughs> right? We need to hear the corporate singing, the corporate prayers. I need to be able to look up and see Robbie's full of faith today. Yeah, that's what I'm supposed to be, Lord. Chad and Jayla are on top of their game today. That's what I needed to see today, Lord. And so the chapel is, is, or worship is the first thing that the church is. And most of us will say that's, that's what church is to you. you. You go to church and, and worship, right? Okay, now that's only one. First C is cause. The second, sorry, chapel. The second C is called cause. Cause. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the whole picking earth. In other words, we're not a, a cruise ship. That brings us all together and have fun and be cloistered together and protected from the outside world. Uh, and, and, and to just have fun and escape the world. You could start to think that if, if, if chapel or worship was the only dimension of the church. It isn't that at all. We, we're, not, we're not a cruise ship. We're an aircraft carrier. And the church comes together from all over the world and it meets together and it gets refueled and then it gets sent out to serve. You heard it in the video. You are sent. You are sent. You are sent. That's a part of who we are. The first thing Jesus ever said publicly is the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe in this good news. The last thing he ever said is, all authority has been given to me. The Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be my witnesses from small cities to regions to nations to the whole world. We are sent out ones to take the story of Jesus to the world. So the church is meant to be an incredible media base for the story of Christ to the whole world. I like that. So the number one is the church is a chapel and the second one is the church is a cause that's right two down four to go okay the third one is the church is a community one heart and one mind all the believers were one in heart and mind no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own they shared everything they had 
And, and it's the coming together of people who care for people. Because as Jesus starts to transform you as a person, he uses you to help transform others, and they help transform you, and you become a community of love. An awful lot of people are converted to Christ, not through hearing the gospel preached, but when they see the gospel being lived out by the community of faith. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Ben talks, sometimes it's God, sometimes it's Ben. I don't always know. Uh, but I love him to death. Uh, and, and so it, it's a fellowship. Like I said, you can't be hugged by an HGTV screen. Last week I was at, up at the West Chicago campus. I was in a little circle talking with some people. And before I knew it, I felt this hand just placed on the, right here on my back. Incidentally, which is where I get most of my back pain in this thing. And, and, I, and I put my other hand back there on top of that hand. I said, I don't know who this is, but I like it. And it turned around and it was Marie's and my dear friend, Julie Mitchell. And that's how she wanted to greet me is with touch. We need to be able to touch each other. And not just casually where we barely know each other's names or don't know each other's names, but to get into groups where we can really share all of life together, where we can laugh together, where we can cry together. That's community. So number one, the church is a chapel of worship. It is a cause, mission to the world. And number three, it is a community of, of people together. Uh, sometimes, folks, people will only choose to come to the Sunday morning worship service. And for goodness sakes, that's great. That's wonderful. But I'll tell you the truth. You haven't lived till you've gotten into a life group. You haven't lived till you, you, you can really start to be honest with a few other men or women or both. And, and tell about your needs and cry on one another's shoulders and rejoice in one another's joys. There is nothing like it. So it's a community. Number four, it's not only a community, it is a clinic. It is a clinic. It is a soul healing center. Look at James chapter 5, 14 through 15. Is any among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, that's an interesting passage. We often think of prayers for healing as to only have to do with the human body. And actually, when you're praying just for people's human body, you're praying for the one thing God promises not going with us to heaven. These carcasses weren't made to contain the glory of God like they do. And so we're going to get brand new ones. I think we'll recognize each other, but we'll, we'll pass through walls and, and multiply fish and, and we'll do all that in our new bodies because you need a container heavy enough to hold the gravitas of the Spirit of God. So when we're only paying for, praying for Aunt Helen's next-door neighbor's dog's foot problem, I go, fine, but pray more, about the healing. <laughs> pray more about the healing of your own soul, of, of where you have grievances against one another, where maybe you've sinned against other people or they've sinned against you, where things aren't going right at work. And you just kind of sense that your whole mind, will, and emotions are coming unraveled. And you desperately need the kind of healing 
that pastoral prayer would give, like Chad being here to pray for you, or actually all of you who know Jesus Christ are ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so your prayers for others. So it's a clinic to make us well, and that wellness goes beyond the body alone. Okay, so we've got number one is, number two is, number three is, number four is, clinic. Number five is classroom. The church is a classroom. It's a place where truth is imparted. From 1 Timothy 3.15, if I am delayed, Paul's writing to one of his church planters, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is the pillar and the, driven into solid stone, the pillar and the foundation of all truth. And that truth comes from this word of God, which is interpreted to us freshly by the Holy Spirit in every generation. It is just, it's just a mess living today, trying to figure out what is true and what isn't true, what is fake news and what is not fake news, uh, what is an idea versus a truth. But you can know that on every issue that the Bible writes about, it writes with perfection. And it guides our lives together. So we thrust ourselves as students sitting under the word corporately with other people in our small groups, in our worship things. How many of you would say you've got one of the finest young preachers in the world bringing you truth every Sunday in Will Franco? Yeah, you really do. You really do. And, and, and so we, we, we get to separate truth from error, fantasy, fancifulness from what is true. And what a gift that is to us. You know, some of these social issues come up and such, and they're debated all over the news. Well, what does the Word say about that? Whatever the Word says about that, that's what it is. Every Christian should be political, uh, but you shouldn't be partisan. Can I say that again? Because some of you won't agree with it at all. Every, every Christian should be political, but not partisan. No one party or ideology contains all the truth that God wants us to have. Yeah, so, so it is the classroom, and it equips all the saints. We grow up into all aspects into him who is the head, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then finally, it is a corporation, and we started out with that as, a, uh, as our opening. But look at Titus 1.5. You have to pick this out of the text, and then you realize he's really talking about something major. The reason I left you in Crete, again, one of his church planters, was that you might put in order, in order, that which was unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. This is ordering the body, ordering the bride into a cohesive whole. And so you do need bylaws and you do need principles and you do need doctrines that you hold to because they form the basis to hold the whole thing together. So there you go. We've got six of them now. I have to walk farther over here so that we can get them in. Okay, the first one is we are a chapel. The second one is we are a... The third one is we are a... The fourth one is we are a... The fifth one is a... And the sixth one is... And then the seventh one is calisthenics. 
So, so I go like this. I go, I go, chapel. Uh, and what's my next one? Cause. Cause. So call them out. I act stupid so that you don't forget it. Okay? That's the whole purpose there. Well, it is. The church is God's wonderful, overwhelming reality of those six basic dimensions. And then words like bride and, and words like body, et cetera, et cetera. Now, let me be honest with you. I sometimes struggle with the term bride. I... I, I, I get what God is saying, but I kind of don't like being thought of as a bride because I'm a man. I spell man M. So I realize that all, not all the metaphors fit the same way. So for those of you men and truly aggressive women in the room, I have one more portrait of the church to give to you. The church is an army. And I'm going to ask you to read this text with me. I'm going to ask you to read it with me out loud. This is when Jesus has pulled his 12 disciples aside. He's been traveling and teaching and healing and, and uh, etc. for a while. And he, and he wants to know what the disciples are hearing people say about him, who he is. And then he turns it on them. And he says, well, what about you guys? So read this with me. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and usually at this point, you, you, be quiet for a second. Uh, <laughs> never had to do that. Uh, that means you're a wonderfully responsive group. Uh, when it says that you are Peter, and, and the word Peter translated means rock, it, it's not that Peter himself is. His faith in Jesus Christ as a living rock is, is what guarantees Things are be, and I will build my church. There comes church into it. There we go, folks. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Okay, so let's change the word Hades to what it really means, and let's look at it where it says, "And the gates of Hades will not overcome it." The church is. Get ready for this. The church is stronger than hell. All right, it's stronger than hell. And wherever there are footholds and strongholds of evil in the world, the church goes out and it batters it and batters it and it seeks to push what is wrong away and bring in what is beautiful and right. And I, and I know we fail a lot. We fail so much. But we're also doing lots of good. I was thinking about just even this week. Uh, we, we are sending out two short-term mission groups. And perhaps some of you, any of you here going out on one of those trips to either Canada or Germany with us? Well, think about it for next year. We do so many great things. So we've got a group of nine people going to Germany. Uh, you say, well, yeah, that sounds like a missions trip. 
Edelweiss, how, you like, how do you like your beer? I, 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 I get all of that. But we're sending nine people, and we're going to be working for Egyptian missionaries who love Jesus, indigenous missionaries, who go to Germany and Europe during the summer because the rich Saudi Arabians all flock into Europe during the summer because of the extreme heat that they, they bear. And incidentally, if you're in Saudi Arabia, you can't talk about Jesus outwardly at all. It's a, we call it a closed access country. But it doesn't stop the gospel. So we're following Egyptian missionaries who go to Germany and Americans meet them there and we'll be sharing Christ with Saudi princes and everything else because they're all rich. I, I don't think you can live in Saudi Arabia and not be rich. And they go up there to vacation and they're out of the squeeze zone where any other religion besides Islam can't be spoken of. Tremendous conversations take place. Every summer they see rich Arabs come to faith in Jesus Christ in Germany led by Egyptian missionaries who are training white missionaries and, and American missionaries and Hispanic missionaries and African-American missionaries, just regular folk to be able to share their faith as a way of life. The miracle stories that come out of it are amazing. So that's one we got going next week. The other one we got going is this one. Chad, you just led one to, was it downtown Chicago was where you guys were doing stuff? Yeah. And, and, so, and then we're sending one to Canada this week. And it'll be about 40 people going. And it's going to a part in Canada where the uh, First Nations or Native American peoples uh, have, have felt very repressed, extremely angry with the church. There was a history in Canada of them segregating the Native uh, uh, American children from their parents to try to enculturate them into Western culture. And it caused huge damage and huge anger. So we go there every year. We've been doing it for over 20 years. Why? Because it takes a long time to build credibility when there's systemic sin from the past. And we go there every year. And in the mornings, we hold backyard Bible clubs for all the little kids that are there because we want them to hear about and start to know Jesus before they are swayed by all the anger against Christianity that is there. And then in the evenings, our, another special team meets with just the, the youth and the young adults because so many of them are struggling with alcohol and drugs and bitterness and lostness and depression. So we go there to care for the children, to care for the young adults, and minister to the chief of the village whenever he opens the door for us. Been doing it for over 20 years. The church is the battering ram against evil wherever it's at in the world. And it pushes it away. You can't stop it. Yeah. So it's stronger in hell. So men, those of you who weren't satisfied with the, the bride analogy, uh, and Tim's one of my friends. I know he could take it or leave it. He said, I don't like this bride thing. Uh, uh, you get to think of yourselves as warriors. We all are. That's a part of the cause when we are sent out. We are warriors bringing the goodness of God to the, to the darkness of this world. Yeah, pretty exciting, huh? I think it is. Well, as I, as I get ready to close up, I'll just tell you what my two purposes were in this sermon. One is I wanted you to be in awe of the church, of the ecclesia, of the bride, of the body, 
of the corporation, of the cause, of the clinic, etc. That it's God's massive organizational family that are seeking to bring changes to the whole world. We've got a long way to go, don't we? There's a lot of evil out there. But we're pushing back darkness whenever we come. So I wanted you to be more and more in awe of the comprehensive nature of God's plan through the church. I wanted you to be in awe of her. Secondly, is I wanted you to start thinking, maybe I need to be, commit myself a little more to this. And I, you know, I contribute. I throw a few dollars uh, into the plate, et cetera, et cetera. And, I, and sometimes I help bring out cookies from the kitchen. Uh, that's real good. Um, but as far as really being completely sold out as a, as a warrior bride to Jesus Christ. I'm not there yet. It reminds me of the story of, of the chicken and the pig. Okay. This is thoroughly theological. The chicken and the pig. And, and they live on this farm where the farmer really takes good care of them all the time and always provides their food and what they need for drink. And they, they never go with one. So one day, the two friends, the chicken and, and, and the uh, pig, got together, and they said, we need to do something to just thank the farmer. I know. We'll, we'll cook him a, a great breakfast. Let's cook him a breakfast of bacon and eggs. <laughs> and, and, and the chicken goes, that'll be great. And, and the pig goes, that'll be... Wait a minute. <laughs> For you to cook bacon and eggs is just a contribution. For me, it's a commitment. And that's what God is looking for. I hope worship is a rich reason for you to come. But I hope you're praying for God to show you where you become the warrior bride that goes into the world to make things different. Close with me in prayer, please. Father, for these words, I, I commit them all to you, beginning to the end. Make, make them stick where you want them to stick. And uh, Lord, thank you for calling us to be the church of Jesus Christ in this world. 